Welcome back. What up, what up, what up? It's AWOD here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from Capitol Ale House here in Innsbruck. Come on by, grab a beer, and check out the show. We are live and local until 3 p.m. Mark Schofield will join us next to go around the NFL. We've got the Richmond Commander taking your phone calls every day at 1 p.m. 833-804-0910. The question of the day today is, will Chicago draft Caleb Williams? Joining us right now from the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning hot seat back in our studios, it's Michael Phillips. What's going on, MP? Yeah, I'm feeling good, buddy. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Will Chicago draft Caleb Williams? Well, I don't know if Chicago will draft Caleb Williams, but I am a firm believer, and I'll go to the map for this, Adam. Somebody will draft Caleb Williams number one overall. Uh, I, I don't Ooh. I don't buy any of this. He's going to slide, or Chicago will take Marvin Harrison Jr. He's the best quarterback. If you're not going to take the best quarterback, get out of the way. Let somebody else do it. They'll trade down, get, get a big haul. Uh, I think Caleb Williams is the consensus best quarterback in the draft, and I, I think we're past the era. Uh, like, remember when, like, like a left tackle went number one overall and like we had a couple of years where like defensive guys did I think we're past that I think we're in the era now where quarterbacks go number one overall yeah no I think you're right there so anytime Michael joins us you know it's time for a little crosstalk if I could just have your attention it's crosstalk with Adam Epstein and Michael Phillips on the fan it's like that 190s movie that everybody loved what's the name of that movie it's not crosstalk, but it sounds like crosstalk. It's crosstalk on the fan. Oh, face off with Travolta and Nick Cage. But this is crosstalk. All right, Michael, I'm going to come after you here with a, a little bit of a different take today. I want to get your take on it. But first, so if Caleb Williams is the consensus number one, why would you not trade up to number one to go get him? The reason I ask is because if Caleb is the number one, if he's the next closest thing to Patrick Mahomes, don't you have to do everything to get that guy on your team? Yeah, only only reason I can come up with is price, right? I mean, if the Bears also decide they love Caleb Williams, I mean, what what's that price going to be? Is it three first rounders? Like, is it going to be something insane where you know you're you're essentially mortgaging any ability to field a decent team around Caleb Williams? Uh, I, the only thing, if you love Caleb Williams, you being Adam Peters, you know, as you come out of this process. I wouldn't let anything stand in my way other than a, a price that you decide this price is so high, we're just not going to be able to field a competitive team to make it happen. Yeah, but that's that's the t- difficult part, right? Because if you're Adam Peters and you want Caleb Williams, yeah, you set the price, but at the same time, you know that he's your key to unlocking this franchise and being competitive again, it's hard to set a price tag on someone like that who's going to set you up for success over the next five or ten years. Right. I mean, look at Patrick Mahomes, for example. Like, what would you trade for Patrick Mahomes right now? And the answer is anything that's not bolted down, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes didn't have any receivers this year and won the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes was trailing at halftime of the Super Bowl, just decided to go win the thing. Like, if you have a guy like that that you feel that good about, you do whatever it takes to get him. I would also remind you, the Chiefs did not take Patrick Mahomes number one overall. Several football players were taken before Patrick Mahomes. That's the tricky part of the game, right? Everybody can feel really good about Caleb Williams and feel like he's the next star, but there's no sure things. I mean, C.J. Stroud didn't go number one this year. Lamar Jackson didn't go number one. You look at the, the history, 
you can fall in love with Caleb Williams, but you got to know he's the guy before you set your franchise back in pursuit of him. So right about that. So I'm not going to change my take at all. I still believe Caleb's the top guy, and yes. I would find a way to move up to number one and get him because, like I'm saying, I think it just changes the direction of your franchise. But what I'm going to come at you today with, Michael, is that the more I've done research, the more I've watched film, the more I've listened to other people who are more intelligent than me in terms of football and the NFL, and they've watched film, I'm now convinced that Drake May is going to be a damn good prospect. And I'm very okay with Drake May at number two. I still believe Caleb's the number one quarterback in this prospect. Like, if we're going on Madden, Madden ratings, I think he comes in, he's like an 88. But I think Drake May isn't too far behind. I still believe there's a gap between those two and Jaden Daniels. But I don't think the gap is as big between Caleb Williams and Drake May as some people think it is. Right. So now we're talking cost. Like, right, if, if you were to say that you have your choice of the three quarterbacks, you and I are both running the card up to the commissioner and it says Caleb Williams. I think we fully yes. agree on that. But how much better is he than the guy you like second, right? That's the game we're playing. Do you like him two first-round picks better than Drake May? Do you like him, you know, what, whatever you uh, – Jonathan Allen and, you know, whatever else you have to give the Bears, do you like him that much more than Jane Daniels if you're a Jane Daniels guy? Uh, you know, the comp you keep hearing on Drake May is Justin Herbert. That's a pretty good comp to have coming out of school. Um, I've seen nothing – to dissuade me from any of the three so far, to be honest. Um, I, I do like all three. Uh, I, I've become a Jaden Daniels guy at two because you know me, I love a high ceiling. I think he's got a really high ceiling, but I, I think in Drake May, you're getting a guy who will be a steady producer year in and year out. Uh, it, it would not bother me at all if they, if they took him at number two, and I, I think you're potentially looking at the opportunity there to get whoever you end up with. Caleb, Drake, or Jaden, you're looking at the opportunity to get a guy you're going to build the team around for five to ten years, which is a luxury they just haven't had in decades. Yeah, no, and look, we're talking about a change in the guard here in the NFL. There's no more Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers is literally on his last leg, right? And so every team is out there taking shots on these rookie quarterbacks. You know, Grant Danny brought up a great point last week on their show, and I think Caller kind of mentioned it, and then they ran with it. I would be much more interested in trading up to Caleb Williams at number one if I could trade assets that are currently on the team. Like they mentioned Jonathan Allen yes. or Deron Payne yes. or Cam Curl. That would get me fired up for Caleb Williams because you're starting a rebuild. Um, the other thing I love about Drake May that I you know, have started to you know realize from film and stuff is that he is so big that I think he's going to come in right away and do like Josh Allen – things he did his rookie year where he's kind of running over people, jumping over people, might even get himself hurt, but he's just going to come into the NBA, or excuse me, the NBA, I'm watching highlights, the NFL, and he's going to be, you know, taking risks like that. I also love that Drake May was a guy that committed to Alabama out of high school and then went to UNC. You know, I, I had a caller mention that to me on my show Saturday. If he actually went to Alabama, he would probably have been the number one uh, pick here in the draft. It's the UNC part of it that's holding a lot of people back. You know, and obviously here, the Sam Howell part of it, you know, in, in conjunction with that, yeah. like, we just did Sam Howell. Why are we doing new Sam Howell? Uh, I would agree with you. They are two very different players. I love the sturdiness of Drake May. There's probably a more elegant way to say that than the, the, than the guy's sturdy, but he is. Uh, he, he's hard to knock off his spot. He's got a good base he throws from. Uh, because of that, 
you see, and I know you've been watching these. We'll all watch these as we get closer. He gets lazy at times. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's fixable or not. But you saw in college, just because he knows where he is, he knows his spots, and he knows he's not going to get pushed off. You would see him get lazy from time to time. I don't think that's a long-term concern for me. Um, I noticed you said a bunch of players. Uh, you didn't say Terry McLaurin. What if Terry McLaurin was part of the deal? Well, that's tough. I don't think you can move on from an offensive player to then bring in, you know, a quarterback that's trying to help your offense. That's uh, that, that's my gut reaction too. I also don't think Terry's contract is like such great value that anybody's clamoring for it. No disrespect to Terry, but part of the reason people want to trade for Jonathan Allen is Jonathan Allen is underpaid relative to the market. So you're trading and you're getting a guy who represents value. Terry is paid at market level relative to his production. So I, that makes him a little less of an appealing target in a trade. But I, I you know, I, I think a lot of fans, right? Yeah. Trade Allen, trade Payne, trade. Ooh, don't touch Terry. Like Terry, Terry's the guy who's got to stay. Where are you with this, Michael? Let's say Adam Peters decides to sit sit at number two and draft Drake May. Are you questioning his decision? Do you think, hey, they got the guy they wanted? I mean, what would be your thoughts if they just sit pretty and take Drake May? Well, I I think they'll try to get Caleb Williams. I, I think that is going to be very hard to do. You're not competing against... Uh, you know, just the Bears for Caleb Williams, you're competing against 30 other teams. I mean, maybe not Kansas City. Everybody else can make that phone call, though, right? Everybody's going to make that phone call. What's it take to get to number one? If the Bears decide they don't want Caleb Williams, it's not just what do we give, what do the commanders give us? It's what are all the other teams in the NFL going to give us? So I, I think that's part of the trickiness here is you're not just bidding against the Bears and their interest in Caleb Williams everybody's going to line up to, to make that phone call. If they pick on draft night, Jane Daniels or Drake May, uh, I'll do a fist pump on draft night. They, they got the guy they wanted who was available at the time. They got a franchise quarterback. It's crucial to have a franchise quarterback. Uh, what Won't be a bad night for me at all. That's Michael Phillips. Check him out. MP on the mic Monday through Friday from 10 to 12 noon. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio on the fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. You can always tweet us throughout the show, at 910 The Fan or at AWOD Radio. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline to go around the NFL, it's our guy Mark Schofield. What's going on, Mark? What's going on, Adam? How happy? How you doing today, my friend? Happy first transition and franchise tag day to you. I know you're celebrating it because it's a big day. <laughs> it is a big day, and we started the show by talking about the differences between Caleb Caleb Williams and Drake May. How would you compare and contrast the two quarterbacks? Well, they are a little bit different. You know, when you think of Caleb Williams, when you watch Caleb Williams, certainly the thing that jumps out to you first is. His ability to make plays outside the pocket, his ability to pl- make plays outside of structure, his ability to sort of create with athleticism, with different arm angles. And I think that's part of the reason you're seeing some comparisons to Patrick Mahomes, others to Kyler Murray. You know, that when you watch Drake May, there's certainly an athletic element to his game. He does have some creativity as well. There's going to be a play that if and when he gets drafted, you know, top one, two, three picks. It's a touchdown pass he threw this year where he sort of rolling to his left in the red zone and ended up throwing it left-handed for a touchdown. 
You know, so I think he's got to have that creativity tag applied to him as well. But you also see some ability to make some more plays from the pocket within the structure of the play. They're two very good quarterbacks. And I know we're sort of getting into draft season now. And certainly here in Washington, you know, the expectations are they're going to draft a quarterback with that pick at two or, you know, maybe they try to trade up. Maybe they try to slide back a bit. But I think they're both very good quarterbacks. It becomes a matter of what you want from your offense what you want in today's NFL. If you want to see more creativity, if you want to see more RPOs, if you want to see that kind of game, you might have a preference for Caleb. If you want to see more drop back and throws from the pocket, you might have a preference for Drake May. But from where I sit and from having studied both of them at length already, they're two very good prospects. Mark, we heard historic hall for the Bears to get that number one overall pick. I mean, what do you think the price tag is on a guy like Caleb Williams if you're Washington trying to get up to number one? I mean, you, you look at some recent deals that have been made. You look at, for example, when the Bears came up for Trubisky, you look a little bit more recently when, you know, it was the San Francisco 49ers that came up to eventually draft Trey Lance. You're talking multiple future first-round picks. I mean, in a draft like this where you have a number of quarterback needy teams, you know, when you look at this draft order, certainly the first three, Chicago, Washington, New England, they've all got needs at quarterback, but they aren't the only three teams in this first round that can be drafted a quarterback when we get down to it. Now, certainly free agency and some trade market could shake that up, but the Giants at six, you look at Atlanta at eight, you look at Minnesota at 11, Denver at 12, Vegas at 13, even go back a little bit you know, deeper in the draft, Pittsburgh at 20 there's a lot of teams that are going to be interested in quarterbacks over these next couple of weeks and months. And so because of that, there's going to be a bidding war for that pick should Chicago try to trade it. So you are talking multiple first-round picks, probably talking a couple of extra picks in this draft as well. That's going to be a steep price to play. If you make that move, you have to really be sure, especially if you're Washington coming up from 2-1, to one, that the gap between QB1 and QB2 on your board is substantial enough to warrant paying that. Some teams may view it as, look, it is. It's worth it. We have QB1 graded so much higher than QB2. But if it's close, it's probably not worth that price. Mark Schofield with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. You know, I think the list of teams that are uh, out there for a quarterback in the NFL draft, I I think that list is going to get a little smaller uh, as we get to free agency, March 13th, the year the league free agency signing period begins. And so, you know, Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, where do you think those two land? You know, Cousins is interesting because there's a lot of discussion that maybe, you know, Minnesota just moves on uh, at this point because of the situation that they're in financially and because of the costs associated with Cousins. You know, a team that to keep in mind throughout this entire process is New England because they're sitting at three and they're in a very different position than say you know Chicago and Washington you know because yeah. they're looking at QB3 and QB3 third overall maybe that's not what you want to do and pass on the best non-QB prospect in this draft and so you know New England's a team that I've wondered about with Kirk Cousins they decide look we tried the rookie route with Matt Jones it didn't work Let's go in a wildly different direction. We'll go with Kirk Cousins, a veteran, and then we can draft our favorite player overall at three 
and suddenly you start thinking maybe a Kirk Cousins, Marvin Harrison, or they go Joe Walt or the Penn State tackle, and you're suddenly really improving that offense. And so New England could seem to sort of watch. Tampa Bay's in a very curious situation because they've got three play- players, Baker, Antoine Winfield Jr., and Mike Evans, that they have to make decisions on. I think they find a way to get Baker back. I would be, you know, inclined to believe that they're going to probably tag Winfield to safety, try to get Baker back, and try to get Mike Evans back. But I do think that more likely than not, Baker finds a way back to Tampa Bay because it worked with them last year, and it seemed like an environment where he had success. They got that team to a playoff berth and a division round game. So I think Tampa Bay and Baker try to find a way to get those two reunited next season. So there are a ton of teams at the top of the draft board that need a quarterback. I mean, you could point to Chicago, even though they have Justin Fields. I think they trade him, probably move on from him. I I kind of expect the Bears to take a quarterback with that draft pick, or they trade back and get another guy that they like. Same with Washington. New England's up there. Uh, There are a lot of teams that need a quarterback. One of these teams in the first five, though, is just going to say, hey, I'm going to take Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he's a sure thing to be a star in this league. And obviously, we all know him for his dad's historic career, Marvin Harrison. But how do you view Marvin Harrison Jr.? Is he a sure thing to be, you know, like a Hall of Fame level caliber wide receiver? I mean, I think the talent and the potential is there. The refinement in his game is there for him to go on and have a very productive and, you know, potentially a Hall of Fame type career. And I think, you know, when you sort of look at the teams three, four, and five, I think he comes off the board in one of those picks. Now, New England, like we just sort of talked about, maybe they go the rookie QB market, maybe they don't. New England has had a very, let's just say, spotty track record when it comes to evaluating wide receivers. They've done a good job, say, with the slot receiver position, guys like Edelman and Welker and Amendola. And yes, they traded for Randy Moss, but when it comes to drafting outside receivers, they've been a bit spotty there. So maybe they go in a different direction. But I think if you look at Arizona at four, you know, pairing Marvin Harrison Jr. with Kyler Murray or the Chargers at five, you know, putting him with Justin Herbert. And, you know, certainly Jim Harbaugh has seen what Marvin Harrison Jr. can do. You watch some of the games between Michigan and Ohio State and how they try to defend him. He knows how good Marvin Harrison Jr. is and can be. So if we get to the first night of the draft and he's still on the board at six, I would be stunned because from three, four, and five, you have three teams that could all look to Marvin Harrison Jr. as a big part of their passing game next year. Mark, lastly, before we let you go, where does Russell Wilson play quarterback next year? That's a fascinating question. I saw the suggestion that he should go to the Jets to back up. Russell, I mean, back up Aaron Rodgers. I don't, I don't see that happening. I mean, I, I honestly think him in Atlanta could work, you know, because you look at the talent they have around the quarterback position in Atlanta. You know, B. John Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts. They've got offensive firepower in that huddle. They just need a quarterback to sort of check the boxes, go down the script, and create a little bit when you need to. I think both Justin Fields and Russell Wilson could work in Atlanta. And I think that one of those two quarterbacks is likely going to end up an Atlanta Falcon next year. My preference if I'm Atlanta is Fields, but if you can't get, you know, if there's sort of a trade bidding discussion for Justin Fields, then Russell Wilson in Atlanta could work too. I think Russell's going to end up being someone's second option. Like if Minnesota moves on from Kirk, right, or if Atlanta, you know, ends up as a possibility or another team that kind of moves their quarterback late like Chicago, that's where I kind of end up. 
uh, I kind of think he'll end up. Mark Schofield joins us here. Follow him on social media for NFL F1 and more at SB Nation. Read his work, SBNation.com. Mark, what do you want to promote today? Well, I mean, we've got, um, like I said, we've got the exclusive and non-exclusive franchise tag starting this week. We've got a piece up on that over at SBNation.com. We're going to be getting to the Justin Fields debate, the quarterback carousel market as well. We've got pieces coming your way on that stuff tomorrow. So we'll have all of the NFL offseason covered at SBNation.com. That's Mark Schofield. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio on the fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Broadcasting live from Capital Ale House here in Innsbruck. Come on by, grab a beer, and check out the show. They've got great burgers, great wings, uh, really awesome beer selection. We're live and local here from 12 to 3 p.m. Take an extended lunch break here on a Tuesday following a three-day weekend. You deserve it. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, it's our buddy Scott Abraham. What's going on, Scott? Hey, what? I feel like I need to cut a uh, promo from The Rock. Finally, Scott Abraham <laughs> has come back to AWOD. Absolutely. I know you're a card-carrying member of the AWOD Army. So let's begin with this. What is the latest with Ted's decision, Ted Leonsis' decision, to move the Wizards and Capitals to Virginia? Well, there's a lot of political red tape right now, and I don't see this getting resolved anytime soon. I think uh, at the end there's going to be some backdoor deals, you know, sweetheart deals. Uh, It's going to get done, I believe, one way or the other. I just don't see how Ted can go back to D.C. now where he's burned so many bridges. And, you know, Ted is a very smart man, Awad, and he would not put himself out there if he didn't have plan A, plan B, and plan C, and maybe plan D even lined up. So uh, right now there's a lot of... um, stuff in the background that's that's going on in terms of the political stuff and that's going to sort itself out and uh this is all just part of the the process of trying to get a a, something like this this to this uh magnitude done yeah you know it's a frustrating situation i hate it you know i don't know how you could take the city's team the wizards out of out of dc into virginia the Virginia Wizards, who wants to go see you know, Jordan Poole miss 100 threes every game. I could understand the Capitals going to Northern Virginia, and that's kind of why they keep throwing out there the percentage that so Capitals fans come to games from Northern Virginia, but it's just not the same with the Wizards, and that's what frustrates me the most about this, Scott. L- listen, you know, I, I certainly understand both sides of the coin. Like, uh, D.C. at its core is a basketball city. Oh, my goodness. They love their hoops. And, you know, during the glory days of the John Walls and the Brad Beal, when they were so close to making the Eastern Conference final, that place was rocking. And I understand the frustration of taking that core out of its city and the small businesses that are going to be hurt in the restaurants that are going to be hurt. But I also understand Ted as the businessman trying to get the best deal for himself, a brand new shiny toy of an arena, a lot of land, going to have you know, help getting funding from Virginia. So I, I certainly understand both sides of the coin, and um, it's it's a tough situation for, for everybody. Um, and I'm just going to leave it at that because, you know, I don't want to show any bias toward Ted or bias toward um, residents in D.C. It's just a tough situation overall. 
Yeah, I, I do believe that billionaires should pay for their own stadiums, and uh, I'll leave it at that. The Washington yep. Commanders have the number two overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. Here's what I've been saying on the show, Scott. I believe Caleb, who you know, local kid, I believe he's the best prospect in this draft by far, and so I think you have to do everything to go out and get him. But as of recently... I'm okay with sitting at number two if Drake May is the guy. I I was all in on Caleb for a long time, but now I'm starting to feel like the the gap between Caleb and Drake May might not be as big as I first imagined. You know, I'm listen. I covered Caleb in high school. You know, we have our high school football show. I covered Gonzaga. You know, almost every yeah. Friday night, and and I saw my own two eyes the potential this kid has and how he blossomed at Oklahoma and USC. I want him to AWOD, but I just think it's going to cost too much. I, I think I think mm-hmm. they're going to ask for a king's ransom, and it's just not going to be worth it in the long run. And then the, the fallback plan is there's three really good quarterbacks in this draft. Who knows? There might be others that you know that that come to fruition. But the three big names right now, you mentioned Drake May, Jaden Daniels, the Heisman Trophy winner from LSU, and of course Caleb Williams. So. If it comes down to Drake May and Jaden Daniels, who do I want right now on February 20th? Long way to go until April. I lean yeah. toward Jaden Daniels, Awad, because I look at the competition he played every week in the SEC versus the competition Drake May had to face in the ACC. I just think the SEC is a much better conference, and to see what he did against competition that Drake May didn't necessarily face uh, week in and week out in the ACC. And just the versatility aspect of maybe like a Lamar Jackson 2.0, that type of quarterback, yeah. how how they fare in the National Football League these days. I lean toward Jane Daniels. I, I worry about the passing aspect. You know, Lamar Jackson had his issues throwing the football. He still does. Drake May has that big arm. Can he maneuver? Can he have that, has that athleticism to move out of the pocket like a Jane Daniels? I'm not sold on Jaden as a thrower, but I am sold on Jaden being able to extend plays, use his legs to make plays. So right now that's where I'm going with the Jaden Daniels. You know, we, we've been uh, taking tweets and calls throughout the show, Scott. I, I'd love to hear you respond to Justin in Richmond, who wants Washington to draft somebody outside of a quarterback because the percentage chances of them hitting a non-quarterback are much higher you know, how would you respond to that if Washington didn't take a quarterback at number two? There's only so many times a franchise gets the draft number one or number two. You don't want to be drafting in those positions. You know why? Because that means you're winning. That means you're making the playoffs. So you got to make sure whoever you're drafting at one, whoever you're drafting at two, you absolutely hit. Washington has not had a good track record. Go back to what, 2012, 2013, they drafted Robert Griffin the third. Didn't work out. 2020, they drafted Chase Young at number two. It didn't work out. They've had a hit here, Awad. So what, what is the most important position in the National Football League, in any sport? Probably quarterback. And they have not hit on quarterback in over a couple of decades. And it's been a revolving door and you got to keep swinging until you finally connect. That's my theory. You have three good quarterbacks. You got to take a chance. You got to do your research. I'm quarterback all day. Offensive line, wide receiver, they're going to be there. They're going to going to be able to address that uh, later in the draft or in free agency. You got to take a swing. 
at, at trying to get a quarterback and finally hitting. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Like, let's say they take Marvin Harrison Jr., and he is a pro bowler year one. He's the greatest wide receiver that we've ever seen as a rookie, like Justin Jefferson. But then next year you're like, well, we still need a quarterback, but now we don't have the number two overall pick. We have the number 10 overall pick. That's kind of where I'm at with why you have to take a order. Uh, Yeah. You need somebody to throw Marvin Harrison the ball, number one. So that's that's, (laughs) – you got to figure out who's going to get him the football. Is that is that going to be Sam Howell? I don't know. Is that going to be a Jacoby Brissett as a bridge quarterback? I don't know. But what I do know is you have three potential franchise-altering players that are sitting there that did their thing in college. Now I have the confidence that Adam Peters and his front office staff and the scouts will do their research, and they're going to figure out who the best quarterback is for Washington. And what I like – about Adam Peters is he's had the experience of swinging and missing. He was part of that San Francisco front office when they traded up to draft Trey Lance. And that's an experience he's going to learn from, he's going to remember, and I'm glad he went through that then in San Francisco and hopefully not here in Washington, that he learns from what, how that whole process worked and went, and went through and you're going to bring that here to Washington and figure out how to not do that again. Scott Abraham with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Follow Scott on social media at Scott7News. Every day on the sports app, we track Alex Ovechkin's hunt for history. The great eight chasing the great one, Wayne Gretzky's 894 career goals. Needs 58 to tie, 59 to become the greatest goal scorer in the history of the NHL. Scott, how great was the month of February for Ovi? All the talk now nationally is coming back. I love it. I was worried. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, father time uh, catches up to everybody, right? So he did not get off to a really good start. Um, I don't know if he was out of shape or just getting old or the legs tired, but it's good to see Ovechkin starting to find the back of the net, starting to look like Ovi in his office, per se, right? On that power play or feeding him in, in his spot on the ice. And, again, this is the one thing that's really holding this franchise together right now is yeah. the chase to break Wayne Gretzky's record because – that's the only reason why they're not really blowing the whole thing up because they want to put kind of some semblance of a team around Ovechkin to to break this record. And once he does break this record, because I still do think he's got, he's going to eventually get there, um, they got to go through a rebuild and kind of figure out you know the next Alice Ovechkin 2.0 or or the next Nicholas Backstrom 2.0 because they're getting older and it yeah. shows they're. Um, getting outskated at times, the, the, the quick teams. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do against New Jersey tonight because New Jersey is a very fast team on the ice. And uh, traditionally they have not fared well against teams that can really move up and down the ice. Scott, always appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. All right, AY, let's do it again, buddy. See you. Yep. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105. 1 FM broadcasting live from Capital Ale House here in Innsbruck. Come on by, grab a beer, and check out the show. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105 1 FM broadcasting live from Capital Ale House here in Innsbruck. And I should let everybody know Burger Night is back 
and better than ever. Monday nights from 3 p.m. till midnight, you can get a cheeseburger for just $2.95 or add bacon and beer cheese for $3.95. At all three of the Richmond area locations, Capitol Ale House, downtown Innsbruck, or in Midlothian, I'm here in Innsbruck, but Saturday, Stub, I went out to uh, Cap Ale downtown and uh, took care of business, beat my friend's butts in pool. It's always All fun right. to go down there, uh, the game room at Capital Ale downtown, get some good beer and play some pool. And, uh, yeah, so that was always fun, uh, stopping by Cap Ale. They have great food, as always. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. Let's go out to the phone lines. We've got Robert in Richmond. Robert, you're on the fan. What's up, Robert? Hey, how you doing? I'm good, man. What'd you call in about today? Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about uh, that feature that uh, Stun was talking about. They yeah. Got, I think they call it the Sicily pizza. Because it, it, it's a... I haven't tried it yet, but I think it's going to be good. I also wanted to talk about the uh, the, the picks for draft. I okay. think my feeling, as long as I've been talking and listening to y'all, that uh, I think it's better to go ahead and stay with the number two because you might get more picks for it, you know, and everything else. Yeah. No, I appreciate you chiming in. Here, here's what I'll say, number one. I think there's a chance that Washington ends up trading back out of the number two pick to, like, the number ten and we're going to be looking at a draft class where we end up with, you know, eight picks in the first 102. Right now we have six picks in the first 102. I think they want more and more picks. And look, we've talked about this. Adam Peters does have a history, Stub, of trading back or trading forward in the draft. Uh, I think it would be crazy to just say, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to stay at number two. No, they're going to field phone calls, and they're also going to make phone calls to see if they can move up to number one or what it would look like to move back in the NFL draft year. But it's a good situation, I feel like, because of Adam Peters' ability to scout talent and evaluate guys in the NFL. You love the amount of draft picks that we have, and that with number two overall, you have the power to acquire more. And then, Stubb, I think he's talking about the new Sicilian-style pizza that's going to be at Little Caesars. Ooh. I was just reading about it on Chew Boom. You know, we always go to Chew Boom I do. for I use Chew Boom uh, a lot. the latest dude food news. Yeah, so it's um, it's actually going to only be three ninety nine. Oh my god! How about god. that? That's yeah. crazy, my, given everything else yeah. these days being like eighteen dollar <laughs> Big Mac deal. Yeah, yeah. You might. So it's going to be a four piece personal size deep dish pizza. Uh, I might so have it's to like try it. Like the, yeah, it's kind of like the personal pan pizzas that we used to have back in the day. All right, phone lines are always open, 833-804-0910. But it is a VCU game day. And joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline is Zach Joaquin. What's going on, Zach? Hey, Wad, what's up, man? I love the Sean Barstow intro. New, the <laughs> VCU basketball. It, just, it, it hits different in the Australian accent. That's awesome, man. Dude, it was so much fun talking with him, and he was so relaxed and easygoing. We could have talked for an hour talking hoops. My favorite thing about the interview was when he told us that his first coach ever was his mom. Not many college athletes can come out and say, my mom was the, my first coach. Yeah, it comes from a big basketball family. has has multiple siblings have, who have played. Um, his, I believe his parents are both coaches. Very much grew up around the game, and you can see it in the way Sean plays, right? 
I think there's a there's a calmness about him that opposing coaches have commented on and that has been huge for VCU in, in key moments down the stretch this year. Really calm hand on the ball. Yep, so the Rams are on the road at UMass. What do you know about the Minutemen? Um, well, they obviously took down Richmond last week, but they also lost to LaSalle. Um, so a difficult team to, to figure out right now, I think. They've had ups and downs. Um, they've been inconsistent this year. They lost to Harvard, Towson, and Georgia Tech. Um, they yeah. played well in, in close losses to Dayton, Loyola, and St. Joe's. Um, road wins against Mason and, and Richmond are probably the highlights of their resume right now. But they're dangerous. Um, make no mistake about it. It's a dangerous road trip for VCU. Josh Cohen is the first name that comes to mind. 6'10", 220, um, back to the basket big. He leads them with 16.1 points per game, um, seven boards per game. So he's a tough matchup for Firm and for Toby down low, um, the kind of big that VCU has struggled against this year. Um, and so I think you might see a lot of the same defensive principles that they used against Deron Holmes, even though they're, they're very different players, but in terms of rotating and doubling out of the post and, and trying to not give him time to get comfortable and get post position, you know, and get to his moves there will be key. Um, he's their leading scorer. But Matt Cross, I think, is, is the guy that impresses me the most for UMass. He's 6'7", 230. Really impressive kind of all-court player. He's averaging 15.4. He leads the team in rebounding, assists, and steals. And he's shooting 54.2% from the floor. He was the guy that killed UR. And so I'd really like to see Michael Bell spend some ample time on him. I think that's probably something that, that VCU goes to sooner rather than later in this game tonight is trying to use Bell as kind of that defensive stopper to slow down Cross. Uh, and then Russell Diggins. I think it's the other yep. big name to keep an eye on. Um, he's third in scoring on the team at 12.5 points. He leads them by wide margins in three-pointers attempted with 158 on the year and 56 um, is how many he's made. And there's nobody else on the team who's close in terms of his shooting volume. So that's the guy that you've got to close out to on the outside. Um, they're dangerous, and getting a win here would be enormous for VCU to create some separation between themselves and, and that pack that's hunting them for the fourth spot. Bonaventure is still kind of looming there. I think they're 7-6 and six in A-10 play right now. So they're the other team that VCU's got to keep an eye on um, in terms of trying to track them down for that four seed. But if VCU wins tonight, then you've virtually sealed up that, that four spot. It would be hard for anyone to catch them and oust them from the last double-by spot if they can get a win tonight and create some separation between themselves and the pack. VCU at UMass. You can hear right here on 910 The Fan. Pre-game coverage starts at 6.15. You mentioned Matt Cross. I think he's the game, the name that most of Ram Nation would recognize. Uh, he's a good scorer. Can kind of do everything on the court for UMass. Now, I did hear a report that he did not practice earlier this week. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm thinking maybe he's day-to-day game-time decision tonight. Josh Cohen, uh, their big man down low. But what's interesting about UMass is, you know, you mentioned it. They played well against Dayton, four-point loss. One-point loss to Loyola Chicago. If they win one of those games, we're talking about a completely different look in the standings here for UMass. They also have that one-point loss to LaSalle last game, a one-point loss to St. Joseph's, six-point loss to St. Bonaventure. So they've been in almost every game. I don't expect BCU to blow them out. I do expect it to be a close one tonight. Also, they can score the ball pretty well. They score 79.9 points per game. So I do think this this will have the feel of the St. Louis game more than the VCU-Dayton game. I don't think this is going to be a rock fight. I think this is going to be more of a both teams go on an 8-0 run kind of thing, first one to 80. 
yeah, I think this could be a bit of a shootout, right? Um, and I, I expect them to be tough too, right? I remember the the, the Frank Martin teams of old um, in his time at South Carolina, so I, I, I expect them to kind of mirror their coach a little bit. I haven't seen them this year, but I imagine they'll be gritty um, and they'll put in a good fight. But yeah, I, I'd expect it to be closer to a shootout um, than than some of the rock fights that we've seen DCU play in this year. And it's been, that was what stood out to me the most about. Um, Ryan Odom and Joe Bamasil's comments after Friday is they both talked about being able to win in different ways, right? And I yeah. think it's striking when you can go from winning a rock fight 49-47 to winning a shootout 95-85. Uh, I think it certainly speaks to the versatility of this team and different ways that you can win ball games. Um, obviously, you'd like to be putting together complete performances where you're playing as well on the defensive end as you are on the offensive end. But they've shown that they have that offensive ceiling um, and a defensive baseline. That St. Louis game was weird, right? So many free throws. And Sincere Parker, oh, my goodness. I mean, there were he made shots that you just got to tip your cap to. You know, VCU had a hand in his face and contested them well. So I don't think that it was a story of a bunch of defensive breakdowns by VCU on Friday, right? I think there was the game was called really tight, and you had a ton of whistles, and St. Louis shot 30 free throws. And Parker just made ridiculous shots that you got to tip your cap to because he's in some kind of zone right now. I don't think VCU played terrible defensively on Friday. I think that was just a, a unique game on the road. And so, yeah, I, I expect not something similar to the St. Louis game, but definitely not a rock fight tonight. I think we're going to get up into the 70s. Yeah, and the Rams need to keep dominating bench points. They've done it almost every mm-hmm. game in A-10 conference play. And, of course, Bamasil led all scores with 27 uh, for VCU off the bench. And, and that's been a big part of this team is it's not just Bamasil, but it's Jason Nelson at times. It's Toby Lawal at times. It's Michael Bell. You know, so VCU needs to continue to have somebody in the second unit hit some shots from the outside. And uh, I'm interested in your take on, you know, John Rothstein kind of pointing out the formidable four that is at VCU with mm-hmm. Zeb at the point, Shulga, Bamisel, and Barristow. I like that lineup with Toby Lawal at the five because of his ability to catch lobs. I like that lineup a lot too, and I think Ryan has increasingly gone to it in late-game yeah. situations here, right? That's kind of his closing lineup, and there's been so many discussions. You guys had some great talks on the on the Black and Gold Fan podcast about about what the best lineups are and, and what lineups you want to see and looking at the analytics and about who plays well together. Um, and I think Ryan has been learning that over the course of the year, right? Because you had so many moving pieces and, and Joe and Sean missing so much time is it took him some time to figure out what his best groupings were, right? In, in what situations and who played well together. But I, exactly, I think that four guard lineup, if you want to call Barristow a guard, I know there's been much discussion about that this year. Um, and I think he's still listed as a forward on the roster. And, and Toby said to Matt Shelton when he asked about that earlier in the year, he's a big guard, but he very much operates as a guard largely. And I think, You've got cool hands on the ball in late-game scenarios when you need to protect the ball and not give the other team opportunities, right? When you've got those four guys out there, that's a lot of savvy ball handlers, a lot of good decision-makers. It's a team that's not going to beat themselves with turnovers. Um, And obviously in late-game, you know, clutch situations, that's what you need. And so I think everyone feels pretty comfortable with those guys out there. And, man, Sean's three-point shot is starting to maybe come around a little bit. That's been talked about a lot recently. His numbers at, at Utah State were good last year, 
from outside, and for much of the year, he has not shot it well for VCU, but I think he made one against St. Louis, and, and defenders are starting to dare him, right? They're doing it to Zeb, too, and Zeb has started to make some big threes for this team, but defenders are really playing off them, and they're trying to compensate for Zeb's quickness and for Sean's ability to get into the lane and, and back guys down and get to that little that little fadeaway jumper in the lane that he loves so much. Um, he, your guards are playing off them and giving them space on the perimeter and trying to dare them to shoot it, and Zeb and Sean are, are starting to make them. Um, Max, obviously, is starting to get, I think, NBA draft buzz on the periphery, which has been super exciting to see. There's some scouts that are starting to notice how well uh, he's playing for VCU and how well he's shooting it from outside specifically. He obviously lit it up um, in the St. Louis game. And then Jason, man, we've, everyone's talked about all year, wanting more catch-and-shoot opportunities for him. Um, and he's been so great adjusting to fluctuating minutes in and out of the starting lineup. Ryan has talked a lot about his maturity this year. Um, and how much he's grown and how he's kind of led the collective effort to embracing your role, regardless of what that is for how to help the team win. Him and Michael Bell, I think, have been the chief examples of that. So it's four guys who've, who've earned those clutch minutes, you know, in, in late in games. Those are the guys that Ryan trusts right now and that he wants out there. And I think that's very much true of the BCU fan base as well. Um, it looks like BCU is operating with the most cohesion when you've got those four guys out there together. And we are less than a month away from the A-10 tournament in Brooklyn, New York. I know, Zach, you'll be covering it for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. And I'm happy uh, to make this announcement there. AWOT on the road will be back in Brooklyn. And we just locked down three live shows once again at Black Forest, Brooklyn. It's right off of Fulton Street. It's just a three three to five-minute walk away from the arena. So Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 12 to 3 p.m. live show from Black Forest, Brooklyn. It's going to be a ton of fun. Zach, I expect you to stop by. I'm so excited. I'd love to be there, man. That's good. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate it. You're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan.